Chapter Fourteen of *The Flint Heart* by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: The Zagabog's Message. The King shook hands and treated his visitor with great kindness. He was not so vain as De Quincey, and not so pleased with himself. In fact, his manners simply smothered De Quincey's. "You are very welcome," he said. Though I am afraid you cannot help us as much as you would wish to do, Mr. De Quincey will have told you what has happened. Yes, Your Majesty," answered Charles. "He tells me that the Jacky Toads have rebelled and are up in arms against Fairyland. It is true," answered the King. "They are led by a very powerful and, I fear, unprincipled person called Marsh Galloper." And the case is so serious that I have sent special wireless messages to the Zagabog about it. If you will allow me, I will tell you what he says. I shall be delighted," declared Charles. The King summoned his reader of dispatches, and while he was coming, he said, "The Jacky Toads want to abolish the veto, and for my part, I should be disposed to let them try it." But we have a conservative government in for the moment, and my prime minister won't hear of the experiment. Then the reader arrived and recited the Zagabog's message. In reply to your telegram, I have consulted my Who's Who, and so gathered all particulars of the Jacky Toad Marsh Galloper. His education has been neglected, and it must begin immediately. But first, you will have to catch him. And this can only be done with the help of three things: one, a human boy; two, a human girl; three, a hot water bottle made in Germany. When found, leave the rest to them. Hoping this reaches you as it leaves me at present, I remain, my dear King, your friend and well-wisher, Zagabog. Now said the King, after his reader had bowed and departed. You see exactly how I am placed. We want first a human boy who will help us, secondly a human girl who will help us, and thirdly and lastly a hot water bottle made in Germany who will help us. I have not the pleasure of knowing any human boys but you, or human girls but your sister, and I do not know a single hot water bottle made in Germany. But if I can get you and Unity to help me. That at least will be very satisfactory for a start. We will be only too proud to help you, I'm sure," said Charles. So far, so good. Then, well begun is half done, as the proverb says. And now, as to the great question of the hot water bottle, it is here that our difficulties will begin. I know a hot water bottle. Fortunately, declared Charles. In fact, you might say that he is my friend. Be careful," murmured De Quincey. "It is a most unlikely thing that you are telling us." "I promise you, it's true," answered Charles. "You can come and see him for yourself if you like." "But not made in Germany," suggested the King. "Surely not made in Germany." "He really was, King. He said so himself," declared Charles. Unity and me saved him from a terrible fate, and tried to mend him. He is badly wounded, but is very cheerful, considering. Would he help? Asked the king. 
As he is a foreigner, I should not have asked him, because this is a purely personal matter belonging to my own empire, and it lies entirely between a section of my subjects and myself. However, you have heard what the Zagabog says." "I'm perfectly sure he will help," replied Charles. "He would do anything that he could, because I tried so hard to mend him. He was only made in Germany, but he came to England at once afterwards. A great many things, and even people, come to England from Germany when they are old enough to have sense. The bottle has lived all his life in England." A naturalized subject. So much the better. Then everything is comfortably settled, said the king. I have complete confidence in you, in your sister, and in the bottle. And after you have restored peace and order in my kingdom, you may all come to court, and we will have one of our great knights, and your sister shall choose ten courses of the banquet, and you shall choose ten. The audience is ended. The king bowed to Charles and shook hands again. Then de Quincey began to lead the visitor away. But, cried Charles, please, please tell me what I am to do. I, I know nothing about it yet. The king seemed surprised and even a little bit hurt. You surely cannot have listened to what the Zagabog said, he asked. After minute directions, he adds these important words. When found, leave the rest to them. So there you are. I have found you, and I shall leave the rest to you. The Zagabog knows everything, and so he knows best. The secret of my own great success as a king has always been that I find the right fairy for each task, and then don't interfere with him. Am I not right, De Quincey? The poet bowed. Quite right, Your Majesty, he answered and another of your many virtues is punctuality. You may not be aware of it, but the nation sets its clocks by you, well knowing that the moment you leave the palace gates for your morning drive is precisely, exactly, and invariably one minute past seven o'clock a.m. I was not aware of it, replied the monarch, but nonetheless am I gratified to learn of the fact. Then De Quincey and Charles were about to go backwards from the royal presence, but the king himself stopped them. One thing I must command, he said. Please see that the famous night piece is sung to Charles before he departs. He must be taught to sing it perfectly, for it is the greatest charm we have against naughty night fairies and night creatures in general. See that he has it by heart before he enters upon his dangerous undertaking. De Quincey and Charles now retired, and the pixie explained all about the night piece. There was a man called Robin Herrick, he said, and he lived long ago in Devonshire, only a few miles from this very place, and after Shakespeare he knew more about pixies than almost anybody. He was a poet and he loved us and understood us, and he wrote a very beautiful song, which we always sing before any great adventure by night. My voice is not what it was, but it is very highly trained and cultivated, and my taste and delivery are so perfect 
that I often give much more pleasure than better singers who lack my marvellous poetic feeling. Therefore I will sing you the night piece and help you to commit it to memory. So when they had got outside the holt, De Quincey mounted a pebble under a fern frond, and Charles sat down on an old upturned acorn cup and listened to one of the loveliest, daintiest, quaintest, sweetest fairy songs that heart of man ever made in a joyful moment or pen of man in a joyful moment set down. The Night Piece Her eyes the glowworm lend thee, the shooting stars attend thee, and the elves too, whose little eyes glow like the sparks of fire befriend thee. No will of the wisp mislight thee, nor snake or slow worm bite thee. But on, on thy way, not making a stay, since ghost there's none to affright thee. Let not the dark thee cumber, what though the moon does slumber, the stars of the night will lend thee their light, like tapers clear without number. Charles was greatly pleased with this magic song, and he learned it quickly, and promised that he would teach it to Unity, if he could. He did not forget to say that he thought De Quincey was a very fine singer, and indeed he was, though one might have better liked his singing and all the other clever things that he did, had he not made such a fuss about them. Then, full of the great deeds that awaited him, Charles started, and his mind was so busy with the matter of Marsh Galloper, the present rebellious chief of the Jackie Toads, that he quite forgot he was still no more than fairy size. The fact, however, came unpleasantly into his mind, for a great kestrel hawk, mistaking Charles for a mouse or lizard, swooped down from her high station where she was hovering on widespread wings aloft, and if Charles had not screamed, the bird must certainly have fixed her sharp claws in him and carried him off for supper. So he rushed back to the holt as fast as he could go, and De Quincey, who had also remembered, and who was therefore waiting for him, reproved Charles rather sharply for his stupidity, then restored him to his natural size. After which the boy set off home in real earnest, and that night he told Unity what they had to do, and the next morning they told the hot water bottle. He was nervous, as usual, but left himself entirely in their hands. End of chapter 14